So today, we begin a series of sermons for Lent, looking at how we can be a courageous church. Never have there been such times for the church where there has been persecution, confusion, struggle, apathy, discouragement, as there... Well, you might think I was going to say today, but actually I was going to say back in the first century. Although, I do believe that today in 21st century Western world, we come a close second to those times. And it's for that reason that as we reflect on the courage of those early Christians and their legacy to us, it seems to me it would be a good thing to look at their stories and see what we can learn about ours. We're going to see what courageous really means. And we're going to use five other words to help us along the way. So we're going to think about being confident, about being contagious, about having courage, about paying a cost, about being countercultural, and about cultivating. And to do it, we're going to look at some of the things that happened to Paul in his missionary journeys as he moved around the Mediterranean area. On Palm Sunday, we will think about one of Jesus' perhaps most tricky days before we venture towards Easter Sunday and see the courage of those disciples and how we might follow their example today. Can you take the boom off, please? Thank you. (laughs) So our first C is confident. But I'm not thinking about how we can just be confident people, but more about how we can be confident in the gospel the message that we have to share. And why? Well, I think because it's probably one of the most important things that we can learn from Paul. So I wonder what you really hear when you hear the word confident. What are the pictures that are conjured in your mind? The dictionary says that it means feeling or showing confidence in oneself or one's abilities or qualities. Or it might feel or, be, or show certainty about something. So I want to show you something. Have a look at this chair. I am confident that when I sit on it, it might support me. Well, actually, I am confident. And the reason, well, because I've checked it over, I've made sure it's strong. It's got four legs, not three, so it's not going to (laughs) wobble. Three-legged stools are good, but they do wobble, don't they? I've sat on it before, and I've seen other people sit on it. So it is with great confidence that I can now sit on it and know it's not going to collapse under my great weight. I'm certain it will support me. Shall we see? So I can also be certain it will support other people. And so I can offer it to them as a place to sit. And I wonder if something is similar with the proclamation of the gospel. I can have confidence if I've checked it over beforehand, if I've tried it out, if I've seen others trying it, 
that I can share it with other people. What do I mean? Well, perhaps first we need to think really about what the gospel is for each of us. It's a phrase we use very easily in church, isn't it? Like many others. But I do wonder sometimes if there is a language that we have that is foreign to most people. You know, all organisations and groups have their language which you either know and understand or you are trying to learn or is a completely foreign thing to you. So let's think for a minute or two what the gospel really is. There's lots of ways of approaching it. We might ask ourselves, what did Paul think it was? We might say, what did Jesus say? We might just think, well, what do we think today? For Paul, it's the message of salvation. It's the message for people who know they've done bad stuff. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again and ascended to heaven, this will bring forgiveness and reconciliation between you and God. What did Jesus say? Well, maybe our gospel reading helps us here. That most famous verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what do we think today? Well, that's an interesting question. I wonder what you do think. Maybe it's a mixture of Paul and Jesus' thoughts. Maybe it's something different. Maybe you've actually never really thought about it before. What is the gospel really? If we look at what gospel means, it's two words together, gospel and pal, good news. For the people of God, the gospel is what we have faith in. Or do we? For some people, it will equate to the Bible itself, and particularly the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. For others, it will seem confusing. How can we have faith in such a time as this, with all that is so uncertain in our society today? The 29th of March is not terribly far off, is it? And who knows what it will be like after that? Well, I thought it would be good today to use this story from Acts and see if it helps us with some of our thinking. So if we'd read in Acts chapter 9, we would have heard of Paul's conversion um, on the Damascus Road. And then we would have, as we'd gone through that, of how he preached fearlessly in the synagogues. The exact opposite, of course, of what he'd been doing before he met Christ on Damascus Road. And he completely baffled the Jews in that city at that time because he was able to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, this was the man who'd been persecuting. How could he suddenly have changed like that? And because of that change, in the end, he had to flee because there was a Jewish plot to kill him. You see, people couldn't cope with change. And how often is that true today? So Paul then went to Jerusalem and he spent some time there, probably about three years. He was trying to be accepted by the disciples, but they were somewhat afraid. After all, before he'd been their main persecutor. You can kind of imagine them thinking, can't you? How on earth can a leopard change his spots? Paul continued to preach in synagogues, but the local Jews, well, they really didn't like it. And they also plotted to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, having finally accepted that Paul was really genuine through the not inconsiderable efforts of Barnabas, they sent him home to Tarsus for a while. And it's just written like that in the scripture. He's gone to Tarsus for a while. That while was actually 10 years, which is quite a long while, I feel, don't you? Um, But it gave Paul time to reflect and to think 
and to work out what the gospel really was for him. It's only when Barnabas invited him to help the church in Syrian Antioch did Paul begin his famous missionary work, spreading the gospel. But just what was he spreading? Paul had just one basic message. And remember that as you hear what I'm about to say, remember that Paul was a Jew. So for him, his way of explaining needed to be very clear for other Jews. The ancient promises of God have been fulfilled in and through Jesus. He's the Messiah for Israel and for the whole world. People need to believe and trust in Jesus' work on the cross for them, his death and resurrection, because that enables them to be back in relationship with God. And not just for now, but for always, forever, for eternity, whatever word you want to choose for that. So in a nutshell, maybe this will help. God made it. Adam broke it, Jesus fixed it. And the it is God's relationship with his people whom he loves. And that whole process, of course, we might give another name, the name grace, which if we reflect on grace, means God's riches at Christ's expense for each of us. The forgiveness of our sins, the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And this is the message that Paul is sharing But he knows that different people will hear that message in different ways. So he has to make sure that he proclaims it in different ways. In every context, he goes about it in the right way for that context, not in the same and best way for him. So he's good at debating, he's good at challenging, he's good at adaptation as he goes around in all the different places we hear he went to. And in Iconium, the place we've read about today, he spoke so effectively that a large number of Jews and Gentiles came to believe. But equally, a large number didn't. And in fact, they so didn't that they stirred up trouble and the city became divided. And even though there were lots of signs and wonders that confirmed the message of God's grace, lots of healing and all sorts of things went on, yet another plot arose to stone Paul and Barnabas. So again they had to flee. But in verse 7, the last verse of our reading, we read, didn't we? They continued to preach the gospel. Wherever they went, they preached it. It was kind of who they were. That was what they did. In 21st century Britain, it seems to me that the mainstream churches are by and large quite respectable. Well, we'd like to think we are anyway, wouldn't we? (laughs) But maybe we are not as socially acceptable as we once were. There are two things that we don't see much of anymore, it seems to me. There is not really much in the way of persecution for us. Now, it may be on the increase, but as far as I know, none of us have had to flee our homes because someone wanted to kill us for our faith. I don't think that's been true for anybody. Correct me if I'm wrong. And the other thing that we don't see is we don't see people leaping about and praising God because they've been healed, showing everyone that God's amazing work has become really practical. And I wonder if that's because, let's face it, we're actually quite afraid normally of extremism and and definitely of charlatans pretending to be healers when really they're just after money. So perhaps we even tend to fight shy of the possibility of healing today as Tom Wright suggests in his commentary on this passage. 
Paul's continual proclamation of the gospel wherever and whenever really challenges me. You could say he sat on the gospel chair, so to speak. He certainly checked it out from both sides. And now he's longing for others to sit on it, as they see he is doing. But what about us? How might we be more like Paul? Well, first of all, we'll need to check out the chair. Oh, I didn't show you the picture of the map, I'm sorry. This is where he went on his first missionary journey. So you can see Antioch of Syria on the right-hand side. Um, he went, spent time in Cyprus, um, then to Antioch in Pisidia. It's confusing having two places with the same name. And then he went to Iconium, and on and on he went. Checking out the chair. But we don't do it, do we? When we sit down on a chair, we don't actually check out that it is going to support our weight. We really need to understand the gospel, what it is for us. Then we need to sit on it, so to speak. We need to sit on the chair. We need to live the gospel. Then we can have confidence in telling the story of how we come to be sitting on the chair, on living a gospel life, and hopefully others will want to sit on that kind of chair too. So the question, it seems to me today, is do you have confidence in the gospel for yourself? Do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, rose again from the dead, and brings the gift of eternal life for you? As you recognise your need of his forgiveness for the things that we today call sins. It's a kind of a catch-all thing, isn't it? But we all know the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And if you do that, does that belief really make a difference to the way that you live every day? Not just looking for a comforting, cosseting, cosy spirituality, or even pie-in-the-sky hope for when you die. Does it mean that you really live with everyday faith? Seems to me that if we can really understand these things for ourselves, then that's a first step to living, in the, to living like it. It's all about the gospel being the main thing in our lives, the good news of Jesus being the main thing, and then keeping that main thing the main thing. But in our society today, the gospel has become watered down. It's no longer our main thing all the time, is it? Yes, for an hour or so on a Sunday morning, maybe. But what about Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Saturday evening? Is the gospel the main thing in our lives at those times too? The erosion of the gospel in society today suggests to me that as the people of God, we need to have confidence in the gospel, that as we sit on it, so to speak, others will want to find out about what that sitting is all about, because life will be better for us, it will feel better, and as we live a life that feels better, so others will kind of look at us and say, well, how come you feel like that when the rest of us feel like this? <coughs> We need to have confidence to share how we sit with the gospel. We need to be certain of what it is we believe so that we can share it with others so they can believe too. That's how the church grew in Paul's day and down the centuries. So why have we stopped doing that? Because we have. Why? It's no wonder the church is declining, is it, if we're not sharing and it can't just be a few of us. 
It needs to be every single one of us. There are thousands of people just in our parish to hear this message, and not just the ones living on Grange Park. That's a few of them, but there's a whole thousands others this way too. We need to be confident of how we are proclaiming, living out our lives of faith in the gospel. So I expect you're now sitting there thinking, well, Sue, I can't say anything. That's not what God's asked me to do. I don't know how to say anything. Well, believe you me, I don't always know either. I'm not sure that everyone has to physically speak words either. But we do all have to live. And we have to live in a way that shows the love and grace of God. There's no shame in any of this, is there? We just need to have confidence to live as the gospel calls us to live. There will be challenges, yes. I can certainly agree with you, there'll be challenges. I've had a horrific week. In fact, I've had a week where every day I have woken up and felt really unwell. And every day Andrew has prayed for me and I have felt better. Even this morning, just between services, I went home and I said, Andrew, you need to pray because that awful feeling is back. And I don't have it now. God's grace is amazing. We just need to have confidence and live the gospel and let others see us doing that. And then maybe they'll ask us questions. But let's face it, the people who are going to ask us questions are probably going to be our friends. And if we can't talk to our friends about our faith, then who can we talk to? Paul and Barnabas were courageous. They had a real confidence in the gospel they proclaimed. And so can we. But the question is this, will we? When it's all boiled down, perhaps these four things will help. Those four symbols. The first one, the heart. God loves me. Do we know that really? The second one, the dividing sign. We are divided from God. We have sinned. The third one, the cross. Jesus died for us. And then the question mark. Will I decide to live for God? God loves me. I have sinned. Jesus died for me. Have I decided to live for God? In a nutshell, actually, that's the gospel for us today. As we sit here in the Good Shepherd Church. So what have you decided? Maybe you need to decide again. And that's fine because we all have points where we need to reflect on who we are and how we are and what we are. And then kind of get ourselves into a place where we can recreate and be good again. Perhaps the thing we need to do most of all is to increase our confidence in what it is we believe and trust. And in a moment or two, we will use a creed. I don't know which one, because Elizabeth will have chosen. But whatever, which one it is, it will be the things that we really believe. And we say them each week. But as we say them, do we really, really believe them? And do we really, really live as if we do? Because it seems to me this is the only way 
that our church is going to grow, and not just our own church here, but our church across the country is going to grow, and people will be saved. They'll be able to live a life with God. They'll be able to sit at the feast table in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm always up for a party. Quite fancy a party in heaven, don't you? So let's all try to increase our confidence. I think there's another picture. Yes. Let's all try and increase our confidence to sit on the gospel so that others will want to find out about sitting too. Let's be a courageous church. I'm going to read a poem to finish. It's a poem for Lent. It's a poem that perhaps will just help us to see that as we travel through these next six weeks, we can learn to be sitting on the gospel. We can learn to be a courageous church. We can learn to be the disciples Jesus wants us to be. So you may like to close your eyes. I'm going to say close your ears then. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? I'd really like you to close your eyes, not your ears, (laughs) because I'd like you to hear it. Um, And we'll use it as a kind of prayer. Lent is a time to learn to travel light, to clear the clutter from our crowded lives and find a space, a desert. Deserts are bleak, no creature comforts, only a vast expanse of stillness sharpening awareness of ourselves and God. Uncomfortable places, deserts. Most of the time we're tempted to avoid them. Finding good reasons to live lives of ease, cushioned by noise from self-discovery, clutching at world success to stave off fear. But if we dare to trust the silence, to strip away our false security, God can begin to grow his wholeness in us, fill up our emptiness, destroy our fears, give us a new vision, courage for the journey, and he'll make our deserts blossom like a rose.